building up a bit of a reputation with monkeys and children. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew? We are going to be studying Luke, but I want to just go and set the scene, the framework around what we are saying today, by reading from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be reading Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46. Verses 31 to 46. Whether you're a Christian here or a non-Christian, you really need to hear what this passage says because you will be affected, every single one of us sitting here, by what I'm going to read now. So, pay attention. Verse 31 of chapter 25 of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the King, that is Jesus, the King will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then chilling words, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's now turn to Luke chapter 12. And we've been studying these, this passage about the fear of God and the fear of man. And we're going to continue this theme in the second part 
as we look at verses 8 to 12, but I want to read from the first verse of this chapter. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, and then right through to verse 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men The Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I want to take you this morning to the 1500s to a woman called Alice Driver. Now, she's very distinct from the driver Alice, which is someone I know very well. It's not her I'm speaking about. This one is called Alice Driver. She lived in the 1500s under the reign of Queen Mary Tudor, who was a Catholic queen. And under the reign of this Catholic queen, she tried, this queen tried to bring England back under Catholic rule and under the church. And as part of that, she tried to purge the Protestants from England and evangelicals from England. And Alice Driver was a 30-year-old woman who was, who drove her her father's plough. She was a plough girl. She wasn't very well educated, but she could read. And she was a Christian. And so, one day she managed to to get hold of an English Bible, which is quite an achievement, because the Bible had only been printed in 1525 in English and made available to people. But she managed to get hold of a copy, a precious copy of the Bible, and she started reading it. And the further she read, the more she became convinced that what the Catholic Church was teaching was completely wrong. And it started really bothering her. And she started speaking out about it. Especially on the doctrine that they were teaching about the Lord's Supper named transubstantiation. In other words, when we participate in the the blood and the body The Catholics teach that it becomes the actual body and the actual blood of Christ. Where we know it's a symbol to remember what Jesus has done for us. 
And so she started vocally speaking out about this false teaching. And it quickly came to the ears of the authorities. And they heard that this woman was saying that the teachings of the church was contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so she was arrested. And she was brought before Sir Clement Hyham, who was the Member of Parliament for Ipswich in good old sunny England. And he was the Speaker of the House of Commons at that stage. And during her defence, this uneducated plough girl gave a very credible defence of the Gospel against what they were saying. And this was against learned men of God in the, in the Catholic Church. And she spoke out about this false teaching. And they were left with no answer because of what she was saying. She was so convincing. And then she went further and she likened Queen Mary Tudor to Jezebel in the Old Testament who led the whole nation astray and away from God. And when she said this, they immediately stopped her and they ordered her ears to be cut off. And then she was thrown into prison to reappear. In a final court hearing, Alice Driver stood up and she knew what was going to happen to her. And these were her last words before she was led away. Listen to her words. In the defence of God's truth and in the cause of my Master, Jesus Christ, by His grace, I will set my foot against the foot of any of you all. In the maintenance and the defence of the Gospel. And if I had a thousand lives, they should go for payment thereof. Those were brave words. And inevitably, at seven o'clock the next morning, she was led out, she was tied to a stake, a chain was put around her neck, and a fire was lit under her. And she died a martyr's death. That is in England. And I've seen that statue. You see, last week we learnt about two types of fear. What was it? A fear of men and an awesome and awful fear of God that we should have. And the one should be greater than the other. The fear of God should be much, much greater than the fear of men. We all have the fear of men in us. But the fear of God must be so much greater. And what we're going to look at this morning from this passage is very closely related to those two fears. And it speaks about three kinds of speaking that we should do. Three kinds of speaking. There's a right kind of speaking, there's a wrong kind of speaking, and there's a, there's a bold type of speaking that we should be doing as Christians. So let's look at this right kind of speaking first, and you'll find that in your text, verses 8 to 9 of chapter 12. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God that the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
Are you willing to voluntarily, voluntarily confess Jesus Christ before men? Voluntarily? When the occasion calls for it? When you're called to stand for the truth of God's word? You see, so many times in our lives, we hear people, for instance, misusing the name of the Lord, right next to us, blatantly in front of us. Do we say anything? Or do we keep quiet? It's just an example. Or maybe in your conversations at work with your colleagues, they bring up a topic of a conversation which disparages Christianity or which talks against God or makes fun of God. Do you say anything or do you keep quiet? Voluntarily. When issues come up in our society, good old Wanganui, stuff happens. Let's take, for example, the abortion issue. When that comes up, do we as Christians write out about it into the media? Do we use the blogs? Do we use Facebook to stand against these society issues? Are we making our voices heard to defend the gospel and the truths of Jesus Christ? Or are we silent? You see, that's what Jesus is speaking about here. He's saying, are you willing to voluntarily confess me before men? Now listen to what he says next, because there's an implication. He says, if you do, then I will confess you before the angels of God. Wow! What does he mean by that? There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future implication of what Jesus is saying. You see, whenever we see this word, this phrase here, the angels of God, we immediately, and the Jewish mind would immediately associate that with God himself. Because the angels of God are always associated with God. For instance, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, you can look it up. We have this description of God on the throne. And who surrounds God on the throne? Millions and millions of beings. The created beings, the angels. They're always associated with God. And they are serving God. And they are praising God and worshipping Him. And so when you see that phrase, you always have to associate that with God in His majesty. You get that? So Jesus says, I will confess you before the angels of God when I am there in my majesty. There's another thing that, we, that is pointed to here and that is the judgment. And Jesus as our confessor. You see, the truth of Scripture says in the present, Jesus is our what? Our intercessor, isn't he? He's our intercessor before the Father. Romans 8, chapter 33 says this. Oh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 33 to 34 says this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? And what is he doing? Who indeed is interceding for us. That's you and I. So Jesus is the intercessor before the Father, surrounded by the angels. Do you see the picture? So that's the present. Now, what's the future implication? Well, one day when Jesus comes back as the judge of all the earth, and that's why I read Matthew chapter 25, that is the picture we'll be in. And when he comes as the judge of all the earth, the angels are going to be there too. And the angels are longing to look into how all these things are going to put together. First Peter 1 speaks about that. 1 Peter 1 verse 12 says, 
The angels long to see what God is doing. They long to see how the gospel message is worked out in history and how Jesus is glorified. They long to see how it puts together, how it works. And so there, when we are judged, the angels are going to be there and finally they will see how it all works, how it all puts together. Because Jesus will confess you and I before the angels of God. Do you see the picture? Now, what is Jesus going to be saying? Is he going to talk about how good we are? How good we were? No? You're right, no. He's not. He's going to speak about his glory and how he was glorified through our obedience, you see. And he's going to testify on our behalf before the angels. And so, when we are obedient to the Lord, Jesus says, if you testify me, if you confess me, before men, then I will confess you publicly before the millions and millions who will be there in heaven one day. Because it is to my glory. Do you see the truth? Our everyday actions, our everyday obedience, have heavenly consequences. Because one day we will all stand before the Lord. Now, in direct contrast to that, Listen to what the Lord says here. But, he says, if you deny me before men, then you will be denied before the angels of God. That's quite a chilling truth. If we deny the Lord Jesus Christ, then there will be a negative witness about our obedience. Because God was not glorified. And it will be done publicly. Every eye will see. Every ear will hear. Do you see what he's saying? If you confess Jesus Christ, there will be a positive testimony for Jesus Christ through what you've done. But if we deny him before men, if we are fearful of men, if we are more fearful of man than of God, then Jesus Christ will give a negative testimony concerning our obedience. That's fearful. And yes, we must come to him and we must ask for forgiveness. And then these things are taken away. But we need to know that our obedience has implications. And there's implications there for Christians and for non-Christians. For Christian, are you embarrassed to be identified with Jesus Christ? That's the direct implication. Are you embarrassed to be identified with Jesus Christ in your everyday life? And for non-Christians, do you make fun of Christians? Do you make fun of God? Do you make fun of this God stuff? Well, you need to get to know this Jesus we've been speaking about this morning because he says in his word, whether you believe it or not, it is true that he will be your judge. You need to get to know him personally. It applies to all of us, you see. So, if you're willing to confess Christ, He will confess you before the angels. If you deny Him before men, He will deny you publicly before the angels. That's the first part of this teaching. The second part is very serious too. Look at verse 10 in the text. He says this, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven. 
What does he mean by that? You see, he's speaking about a wrong kind of speaking. We've heard what we should be doing. What, should, what shouldn't we be doing now? He's spoken about the Father in verses 6 and 7 who cares for us. He's spoken about the Son of Man who acknowledges us publicly as his own. But now he speaks about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is involved here. And how do you and I respond to him? You see what Jesus is doing? And he uses this little word but again. But he uses it in a term which means there is finality here. He says, you can speak out against the Son of Man, but if you speak out against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. What does he mean here? It's a warning, you see. What is the work of the Spirit? The Spirit is the one by whom the truth of Jesus Christ is revealed. Isn't that right? That's the work of the Spirit. He comes to you and I and He reveals the truth of Jesus Christ to you and I in our hearts. That was His work then, it is His work now. But what happens if this truth is revealed to us and we turn our backs on the Holy Spirit? That's what Jesus is speaking about. You see, we've got to take the historical context here. Why does Jesus use that specific saying of what He's saying now in this specific context here. What has just happened? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they were around and they'd seen everything that Jesus was doing. They'd heard his words. They'd seen people being healed. They'd seen people coming to saving faith. But what did they do? They rejected it. They walked away. And more than that, they spoke out against it and they said, he does it by the power of Satan. And so they were ascribing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Completely opposite of what they were supposed to be saying. And they were doing this despite the very clear evidence to the contrary. It was their hardness of hearts. You see, they saw, but they chose not to believe. They heard Jesus' words, but they chose not to ask for pardon as well. They deliberately walked against what Jesus was doing. They weren't sorry for their own sin. Instead, they hardened their hearts. And more than that, they plotted to kill this Jesus. Open rebellion against the Son of God. They were unwilling to tread the path that leads to pardon. Do you see why Jesus speaks out here? You've seen the truth. You've heard the truth. You've seen the evidence in front of you. You choose to walk away. You can speak anything against the Son of Man, but do not speak out against the Holy Spirit. You see, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that anyone who speaks out against the Son of Man can be forgiven. And so there is hope available. There is forgiveness available for the thief. There is forgiveness available for the adulterer. There is forgiveness available for the murderer, for anyone who speaks out mocking Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness available to anyone who gets angry at God. All you need to do is cry, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and then God will forgive. You got that? There is freedom available. There is forgiveness available. But, are you listening? It's not my words, Jesus' words here. He says, if you speak out against the Holy Spirit, then watch out. You are on the path that leads to unforgiveness. And I'll clarify now. 
You see, what did Saul do before he became Paul? Did he speak out against Jesus Christ? Yes, he did. He did, he did more than that. He persecuted Christians. He, he had them put to death. Think of Stephen. He had them put to death, right? And was he forgiven? Sure he was. Why? Because he listened to God. He listened to that voice that came to him on the road to Damascus. He knew it was the Son of God and he said, Yes, Jesus, you save me because I am a sinner before you. And he was saved. And look how God used him. So is there forgiveness available to those who speak out against Jesus Christ? As terrible as that is, yes, there is. But Jesus warns here. He says, when you speak out against the Spirit, how do we do that? You see, it happens like this. When a man or a woman becomes so hardened that they choose to no longer give attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit within them and the clear teaching of God's Word, then they place themselves on this road to no forgiveness. That's the teaching of God's Word. And so you hear the Word and you might be in this church, you might have walked in today, you've, you've been in other churches, you've heard the message time in, time out, time in, time out. You can understand it because it's English coming out, right? And it kind of makes sense to you, but every time you walk away, you turn your back on it. And you feel those niggles in you saying, maybe you should have listened. Maybe that preacher was speaking to you, but you turn your back on it. The more you do that, the more you're working against the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. Watch out. Watch out. Don't continue to harden your heart against the work of the Spirit. I want you to turn with me to a passage which kind of spells out a lot of this. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8. Listen to what this passage says. And evaluate your own life. Where do you stand in light of God's word this morning? Listen to this. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. It's in God's Word. You see, I'm afraid there are many today who think they are Christians, and yet they are walking nowhere near what they should be walking. And yes, once they might have been doing the things of God, once they might have been actively participating in church life, once they might have thought they had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but their walk today says they don't. And why would God not do a perfect work in them? And yes, there are people, and some of you might have been in this situation where for a while you've walked away, but then you've come back. You've seen the light, you've heard that prompting on your heart, and you've reacted to it, and you've come back. And you are now restored to the Lord. 
But for those who year in, year out, year in, year out, do not listen to the Lord, even though they once had a testimony, this is this passage that applies to them. And the question they've got to ask themselves is, did they ever belong to Christ in the first place? You see, there's a parallel truth here too. John chapter 6 verse 37 says this, Everyone the Father gives me, Jesus speaking, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, if God has done a work in you, you will never be able to get away from His Spirit. And if year in, year out, year in, year out, you are not walking the walk you should be walking, then you have to ask yourself, was I ever born again? Because God will continue to draw me and He will continue to perfect me until I am made perfect. And if I look at my life and I don't see Christian fruit in it, and it happens continually, then I do not belong to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what's come before. We need to be clear. And so what can you do? Whether you're sure or not sure, just come to the Lord in forgiveness. Ask Him to forgive you right there and then. Because this has come to your attention. Ask Him to forgive you. To restore your walk before Him again. But don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is teaching. And I want to, I want to just, if you are worried about this matter, oh, am I now one of these? No, you're not. Because the moment you are worried about this, shows that you are sensitive to the Spirit. But listen to Him and react. And come and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus will restore you, and you will start seeing that fruit in your life again. So don't get hung up on this whole matter, as so many do. And they become fearful and then they can no longer be used. Why? Didn't we read last week, God cares for you more than the little sparrows. He'll look after you, but you need to be in the Father's arms. So come back to Him and ask Him to restore you. Ask Him to give you back a soft heart. Ask Him to give you back a quick obedience to the promptings of His Spirit. That's all He's, he's teaching us here. But it is an important lesson we need to take note on. So that's the kind of speaking we shouldn't be doing, is that speaking out against God and His work. And then lastly, verses 11 to 12, there's a type of speaking that we are to be bold in. And here the key word is, this is not voluntarily. In other words, you are being asked to speak out and it is against your will, but you will speak out when you're in that situation. Much like Alice Driver in that situation. Alright? That's what he's speaking about here. Verse 11 to 12. Look what he says. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, take note of that first section there, and when they bring you, because Jesus is being prophetic here, he's speaking to his disciples, right? And some of them would land up before the, the, the authorities there, and they wouldn't go there voluntarily, they would be dragged there by soldiers. He says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Man, those are chilling words, but they're also so comfortable, not comfortable, comforting words, aren't they? You see, the Holy Spirit's not to be feared, rather, He is the one who's to be loved. 
He's the one who is to be trusted. Why? Because He comes to our assistance when we really need Him. When the chips are down, to use a very non-biblical term, then we need the Holy Spirit and He's there for us. When they bring you before, in other words, you will have no choice, but you will be dragged before men. And what will they do there? They will accuse you. They will say all kinds of things. Some of you might have experienced this in your own lifetimes already, where you've been accused of certain things. And I'm not talking right and wrong stuff. I'm saying Christian stuff. Taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll tell you, you're a bit too radical for this company. Just tone down a little bit. Don't be so outspoken. We've got other people we need to get along with here too. Be more tolerant. That happened to anyone? When they bring you to accuse you, and that word when is very emphatically, it's going to happen, then says Jesus, do not worry about what you will say. In other words, in your defense of the truth. Don't worry about what you will say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So you will be given the words to speak in that very time when you don't know, what am I going to say? The words will come to you because the Spirit will teach you what to say. Now, what is necessary for that? Two things. What? A close walk with Jesus Christ so that the Spirit is working in you. And secondly, what? You need to know God's Word. We need to have spent time in here because the Spirit usually uses what's in God's Word and He brings it out into a situation. And so you need to know God's Word. You need to have a close walk with the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And then, when you land in, this situa- in these situations, the Spirit will teach you what you ought to say. Now, this little passage, this verse, has been misused by many, many pastors who have not done sermon preparation and who have said, well, the Spirit will teach me what to say. Well, are you in a, are you in a master situation then, Mr. Pastor? Because that's the context here. Don't ever misuse that verse. If you are asked to speak in, in any situation and it's your testimony or if you're asked to speak in front of kids and it's a Christian message you are to bring, do your preparation. Don't come and lean on this verse. It's a misinterpretation. And you will stand there blowing big bubbles. And God's name will not be on it. So don't misuse this verse. He's saying here, when you're in a situation and you're being dragged in against your will and it's to do with the gospel, then the Spirit will teach you. And so, it's a great source of comfort, isn't it? The Holy Spirit will speak through you and I and He will speak in our defense and for Christ's glory. And so, why do we need to fear? You see the context? Why do we need to fear? The implication is here that He'll be with us. Doesn't matter what the situation is that we land in. So how do I apply that now? The so what questions? I want to ask you, I'm going to put four situations before you. The first one is this one. When you look at verses 1 to 12, which we've looked at last week and this week, how big is your view of God now? as compared to your view of men. Has it changed at all? Since we started studying that passage, has your view of God increased 
Has your view of men around you decreased? Has your fear of men decreased? Has your awe of God increased? If not, you need to go to God and ask Him to do a work in you. The second point I want to make is this. When you are asked to respond, when you are challenged about Jesus Christ, then respond and stand up in that situation. I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 3. Listen to what the the Apostle says here. 1 Peter chapter 3. And this was an Apostle who landed up in a situation where he had to speak out for the sake of the Gospel. This is what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 to 15. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's the practical application of this. When you are asked, when you are challenged to speak out regarding Jesus Christ, do it on the authority that God gives you as His messenger, but do it with the humility of Jesus Christ. But stand and speak. And it all starts with a personal response, a quick response to the Holy Spirit. If you are not in touch with the Holy Spirit, and if He is not actively working your heart, then you will not be able to stand in that situation. It also means that we need to have eyes that see the community. We need to be able to have credible engagements in our vocations. You see, the application of this is at home. When, you're, when, you ask, when your kids ask you, why should I do as you say? You, you don't just say, because I told you. You need to tell them why. They need to understand that this is a thing I can listen to and understand and be obedient to. In your vocations, if you're a teacher and you're in the science classroom, you need to be able to give a reason for what you believe. You don't just say it's just because God's Word says so. We know that, but you need to give a defense of the Gospel. And so you need to go and study. How do I defend these principles that I'm supposed to teach? When you're an economist and you're working out there in the business community, you need to be able to stand up and say why you will not do certain things. Even though your boss wants you to. You need to give a credible defense of the truth. You need to give reasons. You can't just say, it's because I'm a Christian. They won't accept that. We need to give reasons for why we do things we do. So stand and be counted for Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the comfort is God will be there for you and I when we face this opposition. And so we need to have a good balance of these two kinds of fear. We need to have a little fear of man and we need to have an overwhelming and awful fear of God. Why? Because He has my soul in His hands and He cares for me. It's what I read in Scripture. And so even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I need fear no evil because the God of the universe has got me in His hands. And He will be there with me. And He'll give me the words to speak. And so I can trust Him. Do you trust Him? 
And then lastly, I want to speak to you non-Christians that are here. Those of you who have not yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard the call again. You've heard about the judgment that's to come that will affect every single one of us. And my question to you once again is, will you reject the call of the Holy Spirit on your life today? Who will defend you on the day of judgment? It won't be Jesus Christ. You will have no defense. And it's with great horror that you will discover on that day that God does exist. And on that day, you will have no answer because the answer that was there through Jesus Christ, you did not accept. You rejected Him. And after you see the face of God, you will also realize that your opportunity for eternal life has been missed. Come to Jesus. Don't pass another day, but come to Him today. And if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit drawing you, react to that. Don't walk away and reject Him again. I started this morning in the 1500s with Alice Driver. I want to end in 2014. And I'm going to read you, and I'm quoting it word for word, a blog from a teenage writer named Kyle, age 13. This is how he puts it in his own words. Same truths. Maybe you relate to this. This is what Kyle writes. If you are living for the world and living for yourself, others will welcome you. They will see you as their best friend. But, If you start living for Christ, others will make fun of you because you're different. And even if others don't, Satan sees your commitment and he will use those who belong to him to do whatever it takes to tear you down. That leaves you with a dilemma. You want to be like your Lord and Saviour, but you don't want to suffer. What do you do? And then he quotes Romans 8, verses 17 to 18, which says, If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And so, yes, we, are, we suffer, but we will be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. And so Kyle writes, he says, Me stand for Jesus. My human side gets afraid. But Jesus promises that he will reveal his glory through me because he already told the Father and the angels about me and he wouldn't want to embarrass himself. And so he writes at the last line, he says, Lord, make me strong, Jesus. I love it. Make me strong, Jesus. I don't want to embarrass Jesus Christ. What lies ahead for you this week? I don't know why this message is here for you this week. Maybe it is going to be a situation where you've got to speak out about Jesus Christ. And no, I don't think New Zealand's going to be in flames yet. But it could just be in your work situation. It could be among your friends at school, at uni. But will it be an opportunity for you to show that he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world?
And by His grace, I pray that Jesus will help you too, like Alice Driver and like young Kyle, to speak up courageously and fearlessly when the occasion calls for it. May Jesus Christ be honoured through you and through, through your reaction this coming week, whatever that situation might be. Let's pray. Lord our God, You give us Your Word because it's got the wisdom of God in it. Lord, You've reminded us that we have been put on this earth for a purpose. and That is to glorify Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in that task. Whatever it might look like in our everyday lives, help us to speak out the name of Jesus Christ, to live out the love of Jesus Christ and not to stand back for the truth and not to be weak when we are asked to stand. Lord, thank you for the comfort to know that when we speak out your name, that you speak about your glory through us in heaven before all the angels, before your Father. Lord, keep us faithful. Help us not to grieve the Holy Spirit by our disobedience to your promptings. Lord, when we come into situations where we ask to stand for your name, thank you for the comfort to know that our very souls are in your hands. And you, through your Spirit, will give us the exact words you want us to speak. Lord, keep us close to you so that we can be shining lights in Jesus Christ.